Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most artistic, athletic, tenacious, basically unique and interesting people in the world. Everyone has a story, each person a scholar. Welcome to season three. As we continue to seek out some of the most unforgettable humans, some of the most memorable stories, in the first two seasons, the show featured guests from over 60 different countries and will continue down that path because it is imperative that we cherish the differences. And we can only do that by getting out and journeying into unknown frontiers, whether it be physically or simply through conversation, sharing lovely experiences and saluting the tenacious and resilient guests. Terrific, terrific episode for you today with an incredibly talented guest, Israeli cellist Tamar Zagiv joins the show. Tamara is our first guest from Israel. She grew up in a small town in the north of the country. She started her cello at the young age of eight, and by 15, she was studying at the Israeli Arts and Science Academy in Jerusalem. During that time, she also played as a soloist on a German tour. Since then, she's been a regular performer on prestigious stages all across the world, from New York, Switzerland, the Netherlands, and more. Taking the next step in her career, she recently moved to New York City, where she is currently studying for her master's degree. Now, this was such a great conversation, easily one of my favorites of the year, because I learned so much and was constantly impressed by her outlook on life, along with her incredibly talented musical skills. One thing that I found fascinating was her Bach in the Park project. The timing of the pandemic was a bit challenging because she had just initially moved to New York City, but she used that as an opportunity to create the Bach in the Park, and she felt that playing music in the park for others was steps in the right direction towards healing. Starting spontaneously as a late birthday gift for her dear mother, her Bach in the Park project has turned into something so much more. She regularly performs on her cello playing some of the works of Bach in Central Park. And over the past couple months, while she visits the park, she has met many incredible people. And of those, lots who have never heard Bach before, and she feels very lucky to have had the chance to introduce them to one another. Every person she meets during the project has told her how meaningful the experience was for them. And what she thinks is so beautiful about this music is that it tells a story that each of us can find themselves in. Tamar grew up in a small village in northern Israel where classical music was practically non-existent. Growing up, live concerts, especially classical music concerts, were a rare occasion. So it wasn't until she moved to Jerusalem at a later age that she actually got the opportunity to listen to many. She credits her mother for having first exposed her to this music, and today she can't imagine her life without it. Tamar believes that classical music does not need a big concert hall in order for people to enjoy it. I was blown away by the idea of Bach in the Park I think it's so wonderful, and her music is powerful and produces such a wide range of emotions for those listening, and I, I can think of no better place than for her to perform in Central Park. On today's episode, she chats about playing Bach in the park and some of the most memorable interactions she's had. She also talks about why it was her mother's dream for her to play cello and how along the way she realized she stopped wanting to be like other musicians and wanted to focus just on being herself. Truly great conversation. You guys are going to love her. Before we bring her on, we're going to play a sample of her song, When Falling, which will be released as a new single July 1st. It's part of her first album, which will be coming out very soon. I'm thrilled for everyone to meet her, so let's go ahead and bring on Israeli cellist Tamar Sagiv, and let's learn.
first musical experiences. Do you remember the first time you picked up the cello? Um, yes. Uh, so, actually, my mother is a musician. She's a flutist. Um, so, music was just present in our house all the time, you know, 24 7. Um, she was practicing, she was playing for herself. Um, so, classical music, you know, was very, very present. Um, and then uh, the first time she actually, my mother always wanted me to play the cello. Um, it was her dream that I would play the cello, and I always said no, I don't want to. <laughs> and um, then one day when I was seven years old, I think. Um, so we traveled um, to see her friends, and her friends were also musicians. And what they usually did was that in the living room they would open their instruments and start playing and sight reading and doing all this stuff. And the kids, we were in the back room, you know, just playing, um, doing kid stuff. And one of those days um, uh, I was in the kids' room playing with everyone and then I went to the bathroom and on the way I saw that on the living room there is um, her, my mother's friend with a cellist. Um, and he's, he picked up his cello and he started playing and I just immediately fell, like, fell in love with the, with the music. Um, so my mother, my mother was really happy about it. <laughs> she came to me and she said, so you want to take the cello, you want to study it? And I said, no, I just want to play this, but I don't want to play the cello. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that convinced me. and. Um, <laughs> And that's how I, I started. So once you started, uh, who were some of the musicians that you looked up to or the pieces that you loved to play? Um, so actually the first um, the first cellist that really touched me and that became a big role model in my life was Jacqueline Dupre. She's, she was a very, very famous cellist and she was kind of a superstar <laughs> at that time. Um, and she had a really touching and sad life story, uh, but she played incredible. And in all of her videos that I saw on YouTube, you know, I could see her passion. And she was just such an amazing cellist, an amazing character, and an amazing performer. And just as a musician, she was a genius. Um, and I just saw her and I just adored her, I admired her, and I just wanted to be like her, you know, and um, that's an experience that a lot of cellists have with her, because she's so charismatic, and you just want to, you want to be like her. Um, later in life, I realized that being like someone else is kind of boring, <laughs> and that there is, you know, more to that, and, um, and you know, I didn't, I stopped wanting to be like her, but um, but I still admire her very, very much. Do you enjoy the more happier cello sounds, or do you like the deep and the brooding? Oh, definitely the deep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but, you know, it depends on my mood. Um, at the end of the day, I practice most of the day. Um, I rehearse. Uh, music is what I hear all the time. And sometimes you need a break. <laughs> Your ear needs a break. Growing up, did you ever have difficulty with the sheer size of the cello? Um, yeah, that's actually a really good question. So we have different sizes for cellos. Um, all string instruments have different sizes. Um, and we have pretty small cellos for beginners. Um, we have to start at very young, like seven years old or something like that. 
So, um, so I had a really small cello, and, and as I grew up, uh, I had bigger and bigger cellos until I reached the maximum. Um, and it's 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 a burden. <laughs> it's a, it's it's heavy. Uh, it's uncomfortable. Um, you have to carry it around all the time. Um, it's difficult to do that, but. Uh, but I love it, and <laughs> there is nothing else I, I, you know, I would not replace it in, in the world. Um, so, yeah. During the week, how many hours do you say you put in for practice and rehearsal? Um, well, it, it, it depends. Um, I have days where I can, you know, practice uh, just myself five hours and then I have other five hours of rehearsals. Um, I can sometimes have days where I don't get to practice so much but have to do nine hour rehearsals. Um, so it's many, many hours. I kind of think of it similar to someone who's maybe trained for a marathon that it's a daily thing yeah. but then rest days occur as well and rest days are important. So for you, do you have rest days where you just need to stay away from the cello or is it something that you have to do yeah. every day? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, actually, so in that sense, we don't so much have rest days. Mm -hmm. uh, if I have a really important concert, then the next day I will say, okay, I prepared for these concerts for a year, you know, I don't know, something like that. Uh, I can take a day to, to not touch the cello. And that's very healthy and very good. Um, but most of the time, we have concerts and concerts and concerts after that. So you always think about the, the next thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, not so much time for us. <laughs> yeah, so maybe on a, on a day when you're preparing for the next concert, you take a break, but then you're preparing for the next, next concert. Exactly. <laughs> when it comes to a show and a performance, how do you get yourself in the right mental state for it? Uh, are there certain habits that you do leading up to a show? Um, yes, actually, it's a, that you have really, really good questions. <laughs> And so, uh, so for many years, I um, the way I prepared myself, uh, I think, was not very healthy. Um, I didn't believe in mental preparation so much. I just thought I just have to come and just do the job, you know. And sometimes it's not up to me. Um, and it worked. It, it worked for, for a really long time. Um, I think that I was also very lucky <laughs> that it worked that well. Um, but uh, a few years ago, I, I started realizing how much um, weight mental preparation actually has. Um, and I think that the past two, uh, few years when I perform, I first, you know, the physical preparation of um, eating well, sleeping well before a concert is really important. It's not always possible because of the lifestyle we live um, as musicians where we have rehearsals until the middle of the night and, and you know, you have to constantly travel. Um, so sleeping well and eating well is like kind of a luxury <laughs> in that sense. But if you can take care of that yourself, that's really important. Um, I would try to get to the hall or, you know, church or wherever I'm playing that day uh, at least one hour before. I'm playing, um, just to get myself in the mood of, you know, this is it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to play in this place. Um, it's funny because not all the time we get the opportunity to actually do a sound check or to check the hall and play on the stage. Um, sometimes we don't get to do that, sometimes we do, and that's very nice because then you get used to the hall, you get to know the acoustics, 
um, it's 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 a very it's a very helpful tool. Um, but when we don't get to do that, um, I still uh, come earlier to to the place that I need to be at, um, just for me to get into the mood and get into the zone of you know of, um, of concentration. Um, I, I would probably warm up before. Um, do some exercises on my cello, um, then I will go through the piece slowly, the pieces that I'm playing that day, um, and just walk around a little bit, you know, breathe. <laughs> depends, um, depends how, how, like, how uh, stressed I am for, how much anxiety I have before I go on stage. Well, it's been really interesting hearing you talk about the, the holistic health and well-being I didn't hear anything about physical. Are there physical things? Because you're, you're in a certain posture and certain pose all the time. Is there anything physically you do for that holistic well-being? Yes. Um, so first of all, sports is really important, and I don't do that enough, um, just time-wise. Um, but I try to, um, to move a lot. I do physiotherapy, uh, which is really important for musicians. Uh, because our job, um, it might not look like this, but it is very physical. We use our entire body when we play. And sometimes I will finish a performance, and the next day my entire body will hurt, just because of the preparation and so much practicing, and carrying, you know, the cello and all of that. So that can be, that can be a lot. Um, so you have to... Uh, I'm lucky I can go to physiotherapy and do exercises and, you know, um, I feel like I'm being taken care of really nicely here. Um, but I had years when I, when I didn't, I didn't have all of that. And it was much more difficult. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I would say um, take yourself like half an hour a day just, you know, to do things that you love with your body. Um, just rest well, yeah. When I talk to professional musicians, it's a, it's a split in opinion when it comes to being nervous. Some have said, well, you know, I've done this many times. This is, it's a career. I don't really get nervous. And, and then others say, you know what, it's nerves. And I'm glad that I'm nervous because it shows that I'm excited, shows I care. Where do you stand when it comes to nerves? Do you still get nervous? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. all the time. Um, you know what, not all the time. Sometimes I don't get nervous. But when I don't get nervous, that's when I start to worry. Because oh. <laughs> um, the, 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 nerve the nervousness and the stress, um, it's part of caring, you know, about 100%. the people that are sitting in the place, in the room. Um, there is different levels of nervousness and stress. <laughs> um, and there is... Like, there is levels that it's very healthy, that I feel like I have some anxiety, but it keeps me very, like, sharp in mind, and I'm very focused, and it puts me in the right place. Um, but sometimes it can be very uh, exhausting and overwhelming, um, so you need to learn how to use it for your own benefit. Um, but, I, but when there is some small part of stress um, or anxiety or I don't know how you would like to call it, or excitement even, <laughs> um, I think for me I even like it. I, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. 
I always am interested with how musicians handle the pandemic because of the, the loss of events, the uncertainty. But for you, there was even more because you had just moved. You just moved from Israel. You're in a new country. And I'm, this is not what you initially signed up for. You're making a big move. You weren't anticipating the world to be shut down. So take me through the pandemic and how the challenges you faced and now you're feeling emotionally, especially with the lack of events, uncertainty, and also just being in a foreign, foreign country. Yeah, so actually, let me tell, tell you more uh, about that. So my dream since I was um, six years old was to move to New York City. Uh, I don't know what got into my head at <laughs> that age, uh, especially, you know, I came from a small village. I saw chickens and cows next to me, but I was like, I need to be in New York. <laughs> this is where I need to be. Um, and for many years, it didn't, uh, my dream didn't come true because I had, uh, I had degrees to do, um, I had work, I was traveling um, back and forth to Europe, I was living in Europe for two years, um, I was doing all of that. And suddenly the, the opportunity came to move to New York and I thought, oh, finally, you know, my dream, <laughs> my dream is come true. And I got here, I think, four or five months before the pandemic um started so i had this um five amazing months of new york city <laughs> no i really i i cannot i, I things i wouldn't imagine just happened i um in those five months i played in carnegie hall i played in lincoln center i just things i i just didn't think it would happen so fast you know um and all those amazing things just came to me you know just all the opportunities um, and then, you know, one day, <laughs> like everyone in the world, we just we had a pandemic. Um, I want to say um, that I was very lucky. Um, and I don't know if I was lucky or not so lucky, but I, I look at it as, as luck in a way that I got sick very early in March <laughs> um, with COVID. And but then you know no one knew what was going on we didn't even know if i was really sick or not like i was feeling very very unwell but we didn't know if it was covid because all the hospitals were you know full we we couldn't go anywhere um and i so i was just sleeping 17 hours a day <laughs> which is something that I, for years i slept maybe five maybe six hours a night because i was doing so much and um and i was actually sick for two months and for two months i was sleeping most of the day and so i kind of i don't know how but i kind of skip that part of you know all the um, um all the worry <laughs> and everybody uh, just freaking out from the pandemic uh, but i was kind of in my own zone just sleeping most of the time practicing the rest you know sleeping again um, so somehow I just skipped all of that and woke up two months later and things started to look better. Um, and in that way I was, I was very, you can say, lucky. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, but, um, but the implications and everything that has happened to my profession, to, the, to just the performing arts profession, is just damage that we will see just in the next coming years, you know. Um, and 
I, you know, I, I feel lucky, but I also I know from my friends how difficult that time was for them. Yeah. And I don't want to come across as, you know, uh, unconsiderate or something like that, because I know that it's been horrible. Yeah. Um, and I experienced that myself as well, you know. Um, uh, even uh, two months ago, I had four really important concerts that I was preparing for for a long time, and just one day got cancelled, <laughs> you know, everything. Um, so it's a lot of work that you put yourself into, and you can't do it. Um, yeah, so so there is a lot of um, a lot of uncertainty. It's difficult, especially in this profession. Yeah. Well, uh, I like the idea of, of sleeping through a pandemic. I should have done that myself. But <laughs> did did you ever have maybe like a feelings of loss of identity? Like if if you're a musician, you're a cellist, but without a stage to perform on, are you a cellist? And that probably came to your mind. So did that ever occur? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that the pandemic just made it much more clear for me because for years I saw that the classical musician world, which is the world that I'm part of, has a problem. Um, and the problem is that there is no audience for this music anymore. And I think that it's partly because um, some of us have been, I don't know, if saying the word neglecting the audience is the right thing to say or just thinking too much about the music itself and not about what people want to hear or what people can you know connect to um and i think that it's the pandemic made it very very clear that we are not that necessary in people's life that all that people think that we are not that necessary yeah. in their lives um and it made it clear for me that we need to change that, that it cannot go on like this because we will not have a profession. Um, and also, you know, I strongly believe in what I do. I love that music. I think it's, ama it's amazing music. I think that everyone will have so much enjoyment just from listening to this music and watching this concert. And I feel sad that some people don't even get the opportunity to do that. Um, so for me, it was clear that some things needs to be changed. And for me, as a performing musician, um, the first thing that I did after I recovered from COVID, uh, I already felt much safer than any, than everyone else because I recovered. Um, and I took my cello and I went to Central Park and I sat there day after day in the morning and I played Bach for everyone who wanted to hear. And so some people sat for an hour, some people sat for five minutes with me, um, but everyone that sat there, everyone that came by, you know, they told me how much they needed it, how much they needed someone to play for them something. Um, and it just proven to me how much it is necessary, you know. Um, so, yeah, so the loss of identity, yes, there was a loss of identity, and there is still some, but I think that I'm much more optimistic about it, and I think we can control our faith in that way that we can go and do something actively about it.
incredible. I'm picturing Central Park and you performing. Can you tell more? Can you, I want to hear more about that. Can you tell me some of the other interactions you had with, with people? You said they were very appreciative, but are there some other memorable reactions you had with visitors? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a lot of reactions from dogs, <laughs> which was great. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, people were incredible, you know, a lot of them. So I came and I played Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach, and Johann Sebastian Bach wrote six cello suites, and it's for sword cello unaccompanied. Uh, everybody knows the first prelude from the first suite, mm-hmm. um, but I was actually playing another suite, <laughs> um, and I, I, I don't know why, maybe something is wrong with me, but I just thought that everybody at least knew the name Bach, you know, Johann Sebastian Bach. But I discovered that it wasn't uh, that it wasn't true. That a lot of people asked me what that is, what it is that I'm playing. It's very beautiful. I've never heard that before. And I told him that's Jan Sebastian Bach, and they were like, "Who is this dude? <laughs> like, where is it anyway?" You know. Um, and I I looked at it as the most beautiful thing. I felt that they're so lucky. Because, you know, you have this, this thing when you hear music for the first yeah, time and you're in love with it and you have all this excitement and mm-hmm. you just, I mean, you're just falling in love with the music. And this kind of thing happens only once when you hear something mm-hmm. for the first time. So I was like, oh, I so envy them that they have this now because <laughs> I already had this with Johan Sebastian, you know. Um, so I looked at it as a as a really good and meaningful opportunity to to introduce you know this music to people who didn't hear it before. Um, so that was that was really fun. Well, you're right because yeah. the only thing better than good music, the only thing better is new good music. So I think that that's great that you're able to share that. I want to know more about your performances in throughout your career because I know the cello has taken you to some amazing halls. You mentioned Carnegie Hall. As you look back on your career thus far. Which of the locations, cities, halls, venues, or, or just performances that stand out for you? Um, yeah, so, you know, you sent me this question, and I thought about it a lot. And it's so funny because um, the, the first thing that came to my mind uh, when I started thinking about performances that were meaningful for me, they were the smallest performances I ever did, like the most... Um, like I, a solo I know, in Salon. Central Park. Yeah, yeah, and like the playing back in Central Park um, was very, very meaningful for me. Um, I got to actually interact with people and play for them. And, you know, some people came and they sang with me or they danced with me or they just sat there for hours listening while um, the sun came out because it was early in the morning. Um, other good memories that I have, um, a few years ago I did this outreach program in Israel um, where we went to uh, schools and we played for children classical music. Um, and I remember that I came to one of the schools and I did play and I didn't, you know, it wasn't something that I thought of that much. The next day I had a really important concert that I had to prepare to. I just wanted to get it over with and just go home and practice. And um, at the end of my performance, uh, there was this little girl and she was standing there and just looking at me. And I asked her if she needs anything, but she, she just didn't speak to me. She just ran to me, she hugged me, and then she ran away, you know. And 
it's those moments that for me meant the most. Um, when you know that it's meaningful for people, that's when yeah. you know you feel that everything pays off. <laughs> incredible. incredible. With the last 24 months being very challenging, except for the months that you slept through other than that, but the rest of the time, <laughs> very challenging. I'm, I'm curious for you, what do you feel is the biggest life lesson? It doesn't even have to be music related, but what do you think you've learned about life over the last two years? Um, okay, this is going to be very cheesy. Uh, <laughs> so don't take anything for granted, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first thing that I learned. Um, and not to take my profession for granted. Um, I, I always thought, you know, that I would need to work very hard in my profession because I knew that's, that's a hard profession. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never thought that there would be a situation where I could just not work <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, so, so that was something that, you know, I took it for granted that there would be something available all the time. Um, so I think, I think that mainly that, that never take anything for granted and the fact that music is really, really important mm-hmm. for everyone. It doesn't matter which kind of music, um, and I think that it's just art in general. It's really, really important for our well-being and for our life. And um, yeah, and it's, we can never let it, you know, stop. When you're experiencing periods of doubt, periods of uncertainty, periods where you don't know the answer, you don't know whether to continue, when those moments occur, what do you do? What do you turn to? And how do you find the answer? Yeah. Um, it can be difficult and it can be challenging. Um, and I think that the first step um, that they do is n- knowing that I'm in this situation, that I, I came to a situation where I am feeling, you know, um, that things are not going <laughs> the way that I want them to go. Um, I think that the belief in yourself and the belief that you have in others and in what you do is the most important thing. Um, because um, even what I had so far, I had some amazing feedbacks, amazing positive comments, but I also had some ones that weren't that good, you know, and it's learning how to take criticism and accepting it. And sometimes, you know, criticism, criticism is really, really important in this field. I'm the most, I, I, I'm my worst critic, you know, um, but when it comes from others, you need to learn how to accept it and how to learn from it and how to grow yourself from it um, and I think that just believing in what you do and in the way that you are going through and the direction that you are going through is the most important thing yeah um, yeah I think that even in darkest time in the darkest times when you believe that you know maybe now things are not really good but in a few months it will get better well your current location in New York City really suffered and was affected deeply during the pandemic and Often people are saying, oh, you know, New York is finished and it's moving on and so many people are moving out. The best thing about New York is your example of being in the park and, seeing, and playing the yeah. cello. Because things like that happen all the time in New York, whether it be music, whether it be some other type of culture and just the people you meet. If you were to summarize New York City in one word, what would be that word? Crazy. Crazy. Okay. Crazy is good. 
<laughs> crazy is good. Crazy is great. Um, this is the reason I fell in love with this city, you know. Um, this is the craziest, most wonderful place. Um, and I consider myself very lucky uh, being here in that time. I wouldn't trade it for anything else. I would not trade my like the corona I got. I, I, nothing. I would do it all over again. <laughs> when you first started living here, reaching that dream that you started when you were six years old, you're, you're finally in New York City and you're messaging people back home in Israel. What are the, some of the things you're saying? What are the, some of the things that you were surprised and you're like, this is better than I thought? And what were some of the things that were just maybe weird that you never had imagined? Um, yeah, it's actually funny, you know, because um, I'm the kind of, a, like, I'm such a weird person. I like everything about New York City. There is nothing I don't like. I like garbage. I just think it's ambient, you know, for me, um, on the streets. Um, I like the subway. I think that's a great system. It works perfect. Um, uh, I, I think that I was surprised by how much I liked it because everybody told me that I had too much of, uh, that I, I think New York is such a great place. I, I would be disappointed. And I wasn't. I was actually <laughs> much more happy. I, I really, I saw the city uh, in, I think, the most difficult time of the city. And I still found beautiful things in it. And I think that says a lot about the city and about the people who live here. I love New York City. And I've been in New York City many times, but I'm more curious on Israel. I'm more curious because yes. I, have, I haven't been there yet. And you're one of our first guests oh, yeah, from the come. country. <laughs> I, I want to. I just haven't, haven't been able to get there yet. Yeah. Now, talk to me a bit, Israel. For someone visiting for the first time, what would be your recommendations? Take all the time you need. What, what should someone do? What should someone eat? Because I love cuisine from that area. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would send you right away to Tel Aviv um, to eat uh, falafel and hummus and to sit on the beach. And um, I would say who needs much more than that? Just take a drink from the bar, um, sit with your food and, you know, uh, take a bike, ride a little bit and just go back to the beach every day. It's really hot. It's really, really hot. You need the beach. You need the water. <laughs> um, and yeah, I love Jerusalem. I lived in Jerusalem for two years. Um, it's also a crazy, crazy place, um, full of inspiration. Uh, but very, very interesting. So I would suggest also going there. Um, yeah, I think Israel is just such an interesting place um, and, um, and so many interesting people. And obviously the food <laughs> is the best. Um, so highly recommend it. I definitely want to take your advice on Israel. I hope to put it at the top of my list. One thing I find fascinating is that you've lived in some amazing cities. You've lived in Jerusalem. You lived in Brussels, you lived in New York City. Do you feel that each one of those locations has shaped you in some way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that the most inspiring place uh, artistically that I lived in was Jerusalem. Um, I think it's like the sounds that you hear on the street, what you see is just, um, just leaves a very deep thing in you. Um, and then when I lived in Brussels, um, I, I would say that um, it was very different than what I was used to because I was living in Tel Aviv before. I was in the sun all day, you know, on the beach. And then you go to Brussels and it's raining all day and the sun doesn't come out. 
<laughs> maybe once or twice a year. Um, so that leaves on you some very deep things too. Um, and New York City, I think New York just opened up for me the world of possibilities in terms of artistic wise. Um, so each one of them definitely did leave. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. You're, you're defined by several different locations. I think that's, I think that's amazing. What's next for you? What do we have coming up? Events, shows, events we should be aware of, and how can people stay up to date and follow your journey? Okay, so actually, uh, one of the most exciting things that are coming up is um, I'm putting out my first EP, uh, which is very, very exciting. Um, it's uh, something that I'm working on for a while, and actually, because you liked my back project in the park, <laughs> I would say that um, one of the it's um, the EP is constructed of um, three composers who wrote three different pieces for me uh, for solo cello uh, because you know I thought about the pandemic and how we had to do solo <laughs> all the time um, and one of those composers actually the story behind the piece that he wrote is very interesting um, so his name is Jeremy Pelt he is this amazing amazing um, jazz artist and um, one day I was sitting in Central Park playing my cello, playing back uh, in Central Park. And a man came, came by and saw me playing. So he sat there for a really long time. And, and after I finished my, my performance there, I came to ask him like, if he liked it. I just wanted to, to talk to him a little bit. And uh, we ended up talking, and it turned out that it was Jeremy Pelt. <laughs> and um, I, I mean, I just heard his name before, but it was the first time that I ever met him. And after that, we stayed in touch. And one day I asked him if he has written anything for solo cello, because I wanted to play something. And he said, no, but I will write you one. Um, so he wrote me a, <laughs> a piece for solo cello. Um, that I'm recording right now for the EP. Um, and there are two other pieces uh, for solo cello that's written by two Israeli composers. And uh, actually one piece that I wrote myself for this, uh, for this occasion. Um, usually as performing artists, we don't get to write our own music. We only get to play and perform the music that is written for us. Um, and I never wrote anything before, um, but the idea came to my head because I felt that I should say something as well, you know, that my voice should be heard in another way. And I decided to write something for myself. And um, and yeah, so I so there is this piece that uh, that I wrote, and I think it's actually kind of wrote it about New York City and music in general. Um, uh, it's called One Falling. It's about falling in love and I just thought about how it's like to fall in love with New York City and how it was like for me to fall in love with all the pieces that were written for me because it was a process as a performer when you learn a piece. Um, you kind of fall in love with it. Uh, it takes time to get used to it, it takes time to understand but the more you go deeper, the more you, um, you basically fall in love with it. So I thought, how does it sound like when I fall in love? And um, and yeah, I wrote a piece about it, <laughs> and it's going to be also in the EP. So that's that's very exciting because obviously it's very personal. Um, so that's the most exciting thing that I'm working on at the moment. There are some concerts uh, later in the year, 
Um, but you know, who knows what will happen in a few months. So I'm trying to keep it positive. I'm definitely looking forward to that. I need more cello in my life, especially especially the slow yeah. the slow pieces. I, I like the ones that are a little heavier. How can yeah. uh, <laughs> how can people stay up to date? And how can they actually follow you? What is your Instagram name and any other social media that you have? Yes, so my Instagram name is Sagiv Tamar Cellist, all in one word. <laughs> um, you can also go to my website. Uh, you can just Google my name and find it. Um, and if you are on TikTok, I'm Tammy Cello Girl. So, if, <laughs> so you are welcome to follow me there as well. Um, yeah, that's my social. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much for hosting me. I had such a good time with you. <laughs> Yeah, I, it, it was really great. It was really great. I'm, I'm excited, to, excited to meet you. And I think uh, I love what you're doing. And, and I'm excited to be a fan and follow along your career. And everything. No, now I'm a, I'm a fan of you. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> awesome. So great. Such a great conversation. Yes, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to meet you. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, great. <laughs> Perfect. Well, okay. it was wonderful meeting you. Thank you for today. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Tamar. Wasn't she brilliant? To follow her and to stay up to date with all of her projects, including Bach in the Park, you can visit her website, tamarsagive.com. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. <laughs>